On this episode, I talk more about the comfort crisis that is killing Americans and why you, yes, you, need to do hard things, get fit, and go rock. So here we go. You're listening to The Grizz Podcast, where the mission is to guide, encourage, and equip you on your journey with Christ. It's time for you to step up and man up. That's what God expects, and that's what this jacked up world desperately needs. Now, here's your host, the man who didn't help me with anything today and who has annoyed me tremendously, Jason George. What the heck? Hey, get out of here with that. That's my lovely wife who took the day off from work to decorate our home for Christmas. You know what I'm saying? It's only freaking November the 4th. She's not happy that I didn't help her. Dude, I had to work, man. You know, I'm like prepping a new episode of The Grizz. You know what I'm saying? You know how important that is. Jeez. Anyway, what's going down on my brothers from other mothers? Thanks for tuning in and listening. I sincerely hope you are doing well. I'm here in the Grizz Cave with my dog Remy and a hot cup of coffee. As usual, I did a little inshore fishing in my kayak this past weekend. Didn't catch anything. I got skunked, man. That's okay. I was, it was just like still a beautiful day. And uh, I love being out on the water here in the low country. I watched a uh, bald eagle fix up her nest. And I paddled up to a small island, watched a deer feed. It never saw, heard, or smelled me. The wind was in my favor. The waves were pretty loud. I'm like stealth, man. I'm like stealth, like, you know, Navy SEAL, man. Like, just how I roll. It was awesome. (laughs) I love being in the outdoors, man. It's so good for us. Anyway, so over the last two to three months, I've been reading through this book that I've mentioned before. It's called The Comfort Crisis, and it's written by Michael Easter. Michael is a contributing editor at Men's Health Magazine, a columnist for Outside Magazine, and professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. His work has appeared in more than 60 countries and can also be found in Men's Journal, New York, Vice, Scientific America, Esquire, and others. He lives in Las Vegas on the edge of the desert with his wife and their two dogs. His book, The Comfort Crisis, is phenomenal. I highly recommend it. Super interesting, well-researched, and incredibly motivating. Here's what Richard Dormant, the editor-in-chief of Men's Health, had to say about the book. It changes the way we think about the modern world and how everyday conveniences are eroding our understanding of what it means to be human. He's pretty spot on with that. I did an episode about the comfort crisis back on episode 185, but at the time, I wasn't even done reading the entire book. And honestly, the book only got better. There is so much in the book that I want to talk about here on the Grizz Podcast, but I got to break it up. So this is like part two of me talking about the comfort crisis. And I'm going to mostly focus on like uh, just what's hurting us, what's killing us, the problem, and the importance of us just getting healthy, getting fit, doing hard things, and also rucking, the benefits of rucking. Some of you are like, what the heck is that? I'm going to explain it in a little bit. I put an Amazon link for his book in the show notes if you want to order it. I have both the hardcover and also the audio version on Audible. I'm not kidding, guys. It's one of the best books I've ever read pertaining to health, fitness, self-improvement, etc. He's an excellent writer, and throughout the book, he takes you on an adventure with him into the Arctic where he's on a month-long caribou hunt with some hardcore backcountry hunters. And this dude, Michael Easter, who wrote the book, he's not a hunter. He's not some outdoor wilderness guru. He's never done anything remotely close to a rigorous backcountry hunt. 
it was way, way, way out of his comfort zone. And that's what makes it so good. That's what makes it so interesting, even so comical. He's excellent at describing things. I felt like I was right there with him on the hunt. Like I could see, hear, smell. I could feel it. I love those kind of books. In the book, he is addressing some major problems with us. Us meaning us Americans or civilized Westerners. He is addressing some major problems with us and the root of these problems, but he also offers well-researched solutions to the problems. You see, most Americans are living a pretty safe and comfortable lifestyle, period. It's the truth, including me. Most Americans are addicted to their temperature-controlled, overfed, sheltered, safety-netted lives. They don't like to be pushed outside of their comfort zones. But here's the thing. What if that's a big contributing factor to what's wrong with us? What if that comfortable lifestyle that we work so hard to obtain and protect is the very thing that's contributing to problems like obesity, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, depression, anxiety, and even that overall feeling of a lack of meaning and purpose in life? Well, actually, there's no what if about it. It's scientifically proven to be a fact, and that's what Michael Easter reveals in his book, The Comfort Crisis. The main truth that comes to the surface is that we are actually at our best physically, mentally, and I would add spiritually, when we intentionally and routinely make ourselves engage in doing uncomfortable, hard things. Now, I knew this, but the book really reaffirmed it. It reaffirmed the fact that I need to be doing more uncomfortable things because it is only by doing uncomfortable things that I become the best that I can be physically, mentally, and spiritually. We've all heard the expression, no pain, no gain, but now there's an overwhelming amount of scientific research that validates that. We modern-day civilized Americans don't realize how grossly comfortable we are, and we aren't making the connection as to how the incessant comfort is literally killing us. The book does an excellent job of showing us that connection. For many years of my adult life, like decades, I was a soft, flabby, out of shape, and unhealthy man. That's most Christian men that I see. The majority aren't fit, healthy, strong, tough, resilient. It's not good. It's pretty pathetic, actually, that we call ourselves Christ followers, and that's how we're content to live our lives. So over a year ago, about a year ago, maybe a little more, I made a decision to no longer be that guy. I crossed the line. I made a decision to do my best to become fit, healthy, stronger, tougher, more resilient, harder to kill. I think it's been harder for me than for most guys because, as I've mentioned before, I'm battling through some health challenges with Lyme disease and other tick-borne co-infections that have caused everything from chronic migraines to debilitating fatigue, mono flare-ups, digestive issues, cognitive struggles. I also have scoliosis, curvature of the spine, and it's caused me to have a degenerative disc in my lower back, and there are some bone spurs in my neck. My back hurts daily, but you know what? I'm not going to allow all of my issues to stop me anymore. I'm no longer going to use my health issues as an excuse as to why I'm fat, soft, out of shape, lazy, unhealthy. I'm going to do the best I can with what I have to work with. I don't care if I'm in a wheelchair. I'll do the same. Yesterday, I was thinking about what's motivated me to make this shift in my life. Like what happened? What brought me to the point where like I snapped and I'm like, that's it. I'm going after it and actually stuck with it. What's motivated me? Because if you're ever going to change anything, guys, you have to first find your motivation. So let me share with you a few things that have motivated me. Grab a sip of my coffee. First of all, I was motivated to change because I took a hard look in the mirror 
and I didn't like what I saw. I didn't like the man I saw in the mirror. I didn't like the way I looked, especially with my shirt off or naked. Also seeing some pics and videos of myself. I didn't like what I saw. That's not the man I want to be. And I'm the only one that can change that. You're the only one that can change that for you. The other thing that motivated me um, was just some books I've read. The Comfort Crisis was only one of them. Books by Jocko Willink, David Goggins, Atomic Habits by James Clear, Grit by Angela Duckworth, the book Endure by Cam Haynes. I'm finishing up that one. Those books have really motivated me in this, this area of just get fit, Jason, get healthy, get stronger, get more resilient, be harder to kill. Another thing that's motivated are some friends, some friends who are in great shape, who are super tough. They're getting super fit, and they're also striving to be godly men, husbands, fathers. One of them is my friend Brody Holloway over at the No Sanity Required podcast. Another is Chad Wright over at the 3 of 7 podcast. I've got this friend Josh, Josh Lott out in Oregon. We're accountability partners with working out. We literally text and report in daily. Those dudes train hard in every area of life, trying just to be better, tougher, healthier. Another thing that's motivated me has just been watching various YouTube videos from guys like Jocko Willink, Tim Kennedy, Cam Haynes, David Goggins, Joe Rogan. Number five motivation came from my Lyme doctor who literally told me, you need to eat more protein. You need to lift weights. You need to build more muscle. She told me, like, rest and recover when you need to, like when you're hit with a flare-up. She's like, I get it. But then you got to get back up. You got to get back at it, Jason. Another motivation has come from my son, Noah. Over the last two years, the dude has just really been getting after it with physical fitness and making himself tougher. On his own, he's been lifting, running, doing lots of body weight exercises, pull-ups, push-ups. He joined the Navy, and he's doing their ROTC program at the University of Pitt. And that means early morning PT. And he's crushing it. I'm super proud of him. He's also back training in jiu-jitsu. Just watching my son discipline himself and make himself into a stronger, tougher, healthier, harder-to-kill young man, it has really encouraged and motivated me. It's funny the way God uses your kids to make you a better man. And then the last one, motivation, as to why things have kind of snapped in me over the last year. It comes from the fact that four people in my immediate family have battled cancer and three of them have died and cancer was a big contributing factor to their death. My mother, my father, my oldest brother, Mike, they're all dead. My sister, Molly, she also had cancer. Thankfully, she made it through. Listen, dude. If losing three members of your family to cancer doesn't motivate you to get healthy, you're an idiot. I'm going to be different from members of my family. No pain, no gain. And I'm going to do it. Listen, guys, I don't know what it's going to take to motivate you to make the changes you need to make in your life, but you need to find your motivation. Then you write it down, you review it, and you let it put a fire up under you. You got to find things to motivate you to get out of your comfort zone, to get fit, to get healthy, to get strong, to get tough, resilient, to become harder to kill. Now, I'm going to rabbit trail for a little bit, and I'm going to get up on my soapbox. Um, I'm going to get into the content of the comfort crisis in just a little bit, but um, I hope before I say what I'm about to say, you guys can hear that I say it with love and concern, not out of pride, not out of some arrogant judgment. I say it because I care about you. I want you, you listening right now. Yes, you. I want you to be the best man you can be. 
But some of you, with what I'm about to say, you're going to get pissed off at me regardless. And that's okay. I can handle it. My intent is not to piss you off, but I know it will for some of you. So here we go. Let me grab a sip of my coffee before I launch into this. It is so frustrating to me that most, most, not all, pastors, youth pastors, and other quote-unquote spiritual leaders are physically out of shape, soft, flabby, weak, easy to kill. If that's you, listen, you're not being a good spiritual leader. You're being a poor example. Not in every area of your life, but in some areas of your life you are. You're not as godly as you think you are. I don't care what seminary you graduated from, what books you've written, or how many people attend your church. If you were godly, you'd be working to become healthy, fit, hard, strong, tough, resilient, self-controlled, disciplined, because that's also part of godliness. That's biblical. Listen to what the Word of God says on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. Then Paul says, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be mastered by anything. I love that. I won't be mastered by food, by drink, by my couch, by my bed, my sleep. I won't be mastered by anything, by my fleshly desires, appetites. I won't be mastered by anything. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let me ask you a question. Does your physical body look like something that glorifies God? It should. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 and 27 through 27. I discipline my body and bring it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Do you discipline your physical body and bring it under control? Do the majority of pastors, youth pastors, spiritual leaders that you see look like men who discipline their bodies and bring their bodies under control? You get it? Do you see what I'm saying? 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. Train yourself for godliness, for bodily exercising is of some value. Godliness is of value in every way. So he says that bodily exercising is of some value or benefit. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that fact. There's benefit in bodily exercise. Did Paul exercise? I don't know if he really, in the way that we talk about exercise, I don't think he had to. I don't think he had to go to the gym. I don't think he had to say, I'm going to go for a run to get my body, you know, in shape, disciplined. Because the way he lived his life in the first century without modern conveniences, I think his daily life and what he had to do put his body through more than enough. I'll talk more about that in a minute. Also, I was thinking about like the men, the men of God in the Old Testament. Think about it, guys. Think about their bodies. Think about how hard their bodies would have been. Look at Noah building a humongous ark with no power tools or machines. Look at young Joseph, whom the Bible says was handsome in form and appearance. You want to know why? You want to know why his body looked like that? (laughs) No pain, no gain, man. Because he busted his butt working as a slave for Potiphar in Egypt. Look at young David, literally slaying a bear and a lion with his bare hands. You ever fought a bear or a lion? 
Would you even dare? And then he steps up to fight Goliath, the giant. Then I thought about Joshua and the many battles that he and his men fought with swords, shields, spears, battle axes, clubs. You think they were out of shape, soft, flabby, weak, easy to kill? Are you kidding? Why is it that most Christians, like nowadays, they consider a great man of God to be a man who spends the majority of his week sitting behind a desk, writing books, teaching seminary classes, white collar, smooth, well manicured, preppy, but yet out of shape, soft, flabby, physically weak, easy to kill. If a threat entered the room to hurt people, is he the man you'd want by your side to help you fight? Seriously. For the most part, modern pastoral ministry here in America allows ministers to be out of shape. No one seems to care. It's pretty much expected. Listen to me, guys. Physical training, taking care of your physical bodies with proper exercise and eating habits, it's a form of worship to our Creator. That's how you need to view it. Can you turn it into worship of yourself? Absolutely. A lot of people do that. There's a temptation to do that. But you can do that with just about anything. You can easily turn preaching a good sermon into worship of yourself. I've done it. You can also turn a good deed to others like ministry or a mission trip or a service project into worship of yourself. I've done that too. You can turn just about anything good into something evil, into worship of yourself. We have to guard against that with everything good that we do, even with health and fitness. So we guard against it. But for God's sake, for the glory of God, get healthy, get fit, get strong, get tough, become more self-controlled, disciplined, resilient, harder to kill all for the glory of God, but also for the good of others. That's right, also for the good of others. It will benefit others. You want to know why some non-believers are not attracted to Christianity? One big reason is, look at us. Seriously, look at us. Look at our leaders. Look at how unhealthy, fat, soft, uh, flabby, weak, undisciplined we look. We are. God says that man looks on the outward appearance. It's a fact. That's the first thing they see. And our outward reveals much about what kind of men we are on the inside. So what do they see when they see you? Do we look like lazy, out of control, obese, gluttonous men? Some of you are pissed that I'm addressing this. Good. Get pissed. I want you to get so pissed off that you get off your ass and you start making yourself healthier, fitter, stronger, tougher, more self-controlled, more disciplined, more resilient, harder to kill. It's not just about you. Your wife needs that. Your kids need that. Your ministry needs that. This lost, jacked up world needs that. You need that. Listen, guys, sickness and disease are going to destroy you really soon, too soon, if you keep going the way you're going. You need to get out of your comfort zone. If you're too busy, then make some changes. You got time to watch sports, Netflix, or sip lattes at Starbucks while you're reading theology. You got time to do this. You make time. Quit using that as an excuse schedule better. Let me ask you something. Do you think Christ was out of shape physically? Yeah. You who want to get real spiritual and biblical with me. Do you think Christ was out of shape physically? Seriously, do you? Do you think he was unhealthy, fat, soft, flabby, weak, undisciplined, easy to kill? No. Of course you don't think that. You know better. But you say that you're a Christ follower, right? So do I. I say that. So follow his example. 
Do you think he could work as a carpenter in that time period without modern day power tools while being out of shape physically? Do you think he could endure a 40 day fast in the wilderness if he was out of shape physically? Do you think he could have covered all those hundreds, maybe thousands of miles on foot doing the ministry that he did town to town nonstop for three years if he was out of shape physically? Do you think he could have endured the beating by the Romans and then carried the cross if he was out of shape physically? You know the answer. So you say you follow Christ. Then follow him in this regard as well. You get what I'm saying? The same with the Apostle Paul. Let's consider him for a moment. Do you have any idea of the agonizing physical challenges that that man went through for the sake of the gospel? Do you have any idea of the hundreds, thousands of miles that he covered on foot carrying nothing but a sack full of his tent-making tools and maybe some basic supplies like water, food, money that he was giving to various churches? The dude was rocking hardcore in the first century for the gospel and i love it he went from city to city for the sake of the gospel striving to make disciples and fulfill the great commission planning churches equipping churches do you have any idea the physical hardships that he constantly endured for the gospel there was no comfort crisis for him his entire christian life was way out of his comfort zone He had no modern conveniences, no modern-day transportation, no modern-day medicines, no warm showers, no Holiday Inn Express, no Starbucks, no Chick-fil-A. I'm telling you, most modern-day American pastors would quit or die if they had to endure what Paul did, period. And thankfully, we're given a glimpse of what Paul went through because he shares it in his second letter to the Corinthian believers. Let me read a few passages to you and just imagine what this kind of uncomfortable life would have done to him physically and mentally. 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we received the sentence of death. What did you go through, Paul? What beat you down so bad that you thought you were going to die? And then he drops the details throughout his letter. 2 Corinthians 4.8 We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. He goes on to say, always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 7, 5, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. And then 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. No sanity required, baby with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, Danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. I go back to what I said earlier. If you were godly, you'd be working to become healthy, fit, hard, strong, tough, resilient, 
self-control, discipline, because that's also part of godliness. That's also biblical. We are not as godly as we think we are. We have many areas to improve upon. But are you even addressing those areas? Or are you content to live comfortable? You won't pay the price now to get healthy, fit, strong, tough, resilient, self-controlled, disciplined. Okay. But I assure you, based on the scientific, growing scientific evidence that we read about in the comfort crisis, you're going to pay the price of discomfort later with sickness, disease, disabilities, pain, and early death. Listen to these facts from the comfort crisis. 32% of Americans are overweight and 38% are obese. 8% of the latter classify as extremely obese. That makes a collective 70% of us too heavy. Nearly a third of us, one third of Americans, now have diabetes or prediabetes. More than 40 million Americans have mobility problems that hinder them from getting from point A to point B. Heart disease kills 25% of us. These are all medical issues that were essentially non-existent until the 20th century. We don't have to deal with discomforts like working for our food, moving hard and heavy each day, feeling deep hunger, and being exposed to the elements, but we have to deal with the side effects of our comfort, long-term physical and mental health problems. We lack physical struggles like having to work hard for our livelihoods. We have too many ways to numb out like comfort food, cigarettes, alcohol, pills, smartphones, TV. We're detached from the things that make us feel happy and alive, like connection, being in the natural world, effort, and perseverance. You mad at me yet? Good. Then do something about it. Guys, this is all stuff that's been hitting me over the last year and motivating me to get healthier, stronger, tougher, more disciplined, more self-controlled. There is a deep spiritual element to it. Let's take a quick break. I'm going to get a heat up on my coffee, and then we will rip into some more meat. If you need to put me on pause and come back and listen to the rest of this episode later, it's no worries. This is definitely a longer episode, but I assure you, You don't want to miss the rest. It's some good stuff that's really going to help you. I'll be right back. Didn't even know I was gone, did you? All right, wasn't that long. So for over the last year, I've been consistently going to the gym doing some walking, doing some mountain biking, and it's been good. It's been good. I've made progress with losing fat. Um, Not where I want to be, but I've made some progress. I've lowered my blood pressure, my heart rate. Overall, I'm feeling better than I was. I've gotten stronger. I've gained some more muscle. Not like I want, but you know, something. But I've been realizing that what I've been doing is no longer enough. If I'm going to reach my goals with health and fitness, what I'm doing is no longer enough. I've hit this wall where nothing is changing. Nothing is improving. I'm stuck where I'm at. I don't like it. So guess what that means? It means I've got to go harder with workouts, either longer or more intense workouts or more frequent workouts. And I also need better self-control with eating. I confess that I snack way too much at night. So in the comfort crisis, there are a few chapters about rucking. Some of you are like, what in the ruck is rucking? 
I'm going to tell you. Ruck is both a noun and a verb. It's a thing and an action. It's military speak for the heavy backpack that carries all of the items a soldier needs to fight a war. And quote unquote to ruck or rucking is the act of marching that ruck in war or as a form of training for soldiers or civilians to get really, really fit. Basically, if you put weight in a backpack and then put that weighted backpack on and go walk, that's rucking. It's simple. And humans were designed to ruck, to carry weight over long distances. I'm not kidding. We're pretty unique in that way. So in the book, you get to this point on the caribou hunt where the author finally kills a caribou. A good one. But then he has to help pack it out. Or I should say, ruck it out. And the guys tell him that because he's the hunter who killed it, he has to carry the heaviest load. So like, there are two 50-pound hindquarters, two 35-pound front quarters, and about 70 pounds of back straps, loin, neck meat, ribs, etc. Then there's the caribou's cape, which is about 40 pounds. The caribou's head and antlers weigh about 20, 25 pounds. Each person's pack weighs about 90 to 110 pounds. <laughs> to pack that thing out. That's what they have to ruck out after this successful hunt. And this is in the mountains, higher altitude, hard walking through muck and shale. They go one foot in front of the other at a pace of about a mile or two an hour. That's all they can physically muster. It's slippery. It's wet. It's cold. And he, the author, Michael Easter, he said he's never worked that physically hard for that long in his entire life. Let me read that section of the book to you. He says, the weight of the pack is cutting into my shoulders and dragging on my hips, making even the basic act of breathing a struggle. And we haven't even started hiking the five miles back to camp. I'm also gripping my rifle at my side. 10 pounds isn't much until it is, which is when my forearms feel ablaze. I switch hands often. All the while, my lungs feel like they're sitting atop Bunsen burners. He goes on to say, I've exercised about five hours a week for nearly two decades, but I've never put my body through anything like this expedition. The trip exposed a flaw not only in my own physicality, but also in how the modern world approaches fitness. Compared to humans of the recent past, I'd be the last person picked in gym class. He goes on, and he says, Only 20% of Americans meet the national guidelines for weekly endurance and strength exercise. Only 20% of us. And 27% of us don't do any type of physical activity at all. Literally nothing. 27% of us do literally nothing. Life is a sort of prolonged shuffle from bed to office chair to sofa to bed. This, along with our jonesing for ultra-processed foods is why research from the CDC shows that we modern humans, modern humans are fatter and less muscular than we were a decade ago, which was when we were fatter and less muscular than we were the decade before that, and so on. Scientists say our impossible laziness, once exceedingly rare, is leading to dangerously low levels of muscle, this condition is called sarcopenia, which is the loss of muscle mass and function. And it's now creeping into younger populations for the first time in any species in all of history. Humans are slowly becoming unique for our fatness and lack of fitness 
as we are for our intelligence. Today, being radically out of shape, no matter a person's age, rarely results in a quick death. But it often results in chronic conditions like heart disease and diabetes that cause a slow death. How do we become the least fit humans of all time? Technologies. Technologies often end up reducing our physical activity levels. Packing out the caribou feels oddly uh, primeval. It's a unique marriage of strength and endurance that is foreign coming from the modern fitness world. Humans today rarely do one of the most consequential acts of our forefathers, carrying heavy stuff over rough land. But emerging research is showing that it's an act that made us human. Let me grab a sip of my coffee. Then he begins getting into the interesting research around rucking, which motivated me to try out rucking. I'll talk more about my personal experience with rucking shortly. Listen to these fascinating discoveries. Early humans may not have been great at bench presses, but the animal weights they carried could be radically heavy. The average weighed about 220 to 770 pounds. Archaeological evidence also shows that humans were transporting heavy rocks to make tools. One site in Israel revealed that our ancestors carried 90-pound stones short distances. But other sites showed that they hauled lighter boulders nearly 10 miles. An analysis of 36 different hunter-gatherer tribes showed that many moved camp a few hundred miles each year. Carrying, as I was learning in Alaska, is uncomfortable. It's an act that kills the division between strength and cardio. It jams a person into an an exhaustion feedback loop. The walking makes the weight feel heavier. The weight makes the walking more of a lung buster. Scientists in Spain say gatherers sometimes carry weights equal to half their total body weight. So it seems that humans were perhaps even more so born to carry. Our need to carry was largely rendered moot by technology. We have shopping carts, wheeled suitcases, strollers, vehicles, dollies, semi-trucks, forklifts, etc. He goes on to say that most of us never re-engineered carrying back into our days. But then he brings up this modern-day tribe who has embraced carrying things long distances. And he says it has helped them become, perhaps, the fittest band of humans ever to walk the earth. He's talking about the Go Ruck tribe, which was founded by Jason McCarthy. Jason is a former Green Beret. The author meets and talks with Jason McCarthy, and what he learns from him about rucking is not only just fascinating, interesting, but it's just so motivating, at least it was to me. McCarthy says, you know, you rarely run in war and never without weight. Never, but you're always rucking. McCarthy served from 2003 to 2008, during which time he was deployed to Iraq and Africa. McCarthy goes on to say, when I first got to the military, I didn't know what rucking was. In infantry school, they handed me a heavy ruck and the advice advice they gave was basically, keep up. He then moved to airborne school, then special forces preparation assessment and selection. That took him to the qualification course, a 53-week curriculum of learning and suffering. McCarthy says, the mission would be, here's a map, a compass, and your ruck. Get to this destination. The ruck had to be 45 pounds dry. The rule was, Don't be late, light, or last. At the end of his training came Robin Sage, the litmus test for those hoping to earn Green Beret. Soldiers are placed in small teams and airdropped into the middle of the woods in North Carolina at night 
for the ultimate test of their ability to conduct unconventional warfare. He says, everyone's ruck weighed 125 pounds, plus we had equipment. Then we had to do an 18-hour infiltration. You can't think. You can barely move. He goes on. At the tip of the spear in the U.S., we have the fittest soldiers who ever existed. At the opposite end, we have the most unfit citizenry. And that is to the detriment of America. Then Michael Easter says, Rucking is essential to military might. So the U.S. government has poured millions of dollars into studying the act. McCarthy says, Rucking is strength and cardio in one. It's cardio for the person who hates running and strength work for the person who hates lifting. A casual ruck burns somewhere between two and three times the calories of walking, according to scientists at the University of South Carolina. The estimates suggest that what McCarthy did in Green Beret training in the North Carolina woods burned between 1,500 and 2,500 calories an hour. It also suggests that packing 100 pounds of caribou across the steepest pitches of the tundra burns between 1850 and 2150 calories an hour. McCarthy founded Go Ruck after exiting the military. He says that special forces guys get all the best gear. You usually can't ruck with over 35 pounds in a regular backpack. I wanted to create a ruck that was to military specs, but would look good in New York City. Something you could take to the office and then toss some weight in and go for a ruck after work. It took him about three years to create it, but he did it. He created the first Go Ruck backpack or ruck, whatever. It was a black, made-in-America 26-liter ruck that could hold more weight than a person could ever carry in it. His first customers were... were, uh, military guys who used the rucks on raids in Kirkuk and Fallujah. Word began to spread and requests from other American elite soldiers poured in. Then, to generate civilian interest in his Go Ruck packs, he began the Go Ruck Challenge, where a team of people would compete with no less than 35 pounds in their rucks for 12 hours across 15 to 20 miles. Along the way, they'd also have to uh, complete various challenges like carrying a 300-pound log for a mile or doing a ruck workout in the surf on a beach. These go-ruck competitions have been led by combat-decorated Special Forces soldiers, SEALs, Green Berets, Rangers, Delta Force, MARSOC, etc. I also found out that there are now hundreds of of ruck clubs all over the world. Members have lost thousands of pounds. They've become physically stronger. They've built strong friendships, communities, tribes. It's awesome. McCarthy said, ask any special forces guy. Doing physically hard things is an enormous life hack. Do hard things and the rest of life gets easier and appreciate it. And you'll appreciate it all the more. He goes on to say, not doing physically hard things gets us all out of whack. The data is overwhelming in terms of our need to sweat, be outside, to be part of community. The editor-in-chief of the British Medical Journal, Dr. Fiona Godley, recently published a letter that was titled, The Miracle Cure. In that letter, listen to what she writes, guys. As miracle cures are hard to come by, any claim that a treatment is 100% safe and effective must always be viewed with intense skepticism. There is perhaps one exception, physical activity. She goes on to say, people who are active have lower rates of cardiovascular disease, cancer, and depression. And the science grows stronger by the day. End quote. <clears throat> wow. Let me grab a sip of my coffee. Let a lot of that sink in, man. 
Michael Easter ends this chapter on rucking with this sobering and motivating scientific fact. In our pursuit of better living, we've allowed comfort to calcify our natural movements and strengths. Without conscious discomfort and purposeful exercise, a forceful push against comfort creep, we will only continue to become weaker and sicker. I love that. Without a conscious discomfort and purposeful exercise, a forceful push against comfort creep, we are only going to become weaker and sicker. So after reading all of this, I started Googling about the benefits of rucking and it blew me away. I was like, I'm going to add rucking to the workouts that I'm already doing. I have a friend in Florida who I've seen uh, posting pics on social media of him doing group rucks. His name is Daniel Helsel. So I contacted him and I told him I was looking into buying uh, a ruck from Go Ruck and I wanted to get his input. Like two days after I reached out to him, the mail comes. There's a box. The dude sent me his old ruck from Go Ruck in the mail to take it for a test drive until I can buy my own because he's got a newer one. But the old one is still in like perfect shape. I was so excited. So that day I loaded it down with like 25 to 30 pounds and I started rucking a few miles in my neighborhood. And I got to say, <coughs> sorry, it was legit, man. It's not easy. It challenged me. My body was not used to that kind of workout. Last week total, over seven days, I did about 10 miles of rucking. This week, I'm shooting for 12 miles. Now, here are a few of the benefits of rucking that I discovered. And this is why I'm motivated to stick with rucking, adding it to everything I already was doing with working out. Number one, it crushes calories. I'm not kidding. You can burn three times more calories rucking than you do walking. If you walk for 30 minutes, say you burn like 125 calories tops, but you put a 25 to 30 pound ruck on your back, you're going to end up burning like 350 calories. Number two benefit, rucking can actually relieve and prevent back pain. For me, it helps improve my posture. It forces me to get those shoulders back, to stand up straight. It does hurt my traps after the first mile because uh, I wasn't used to it. The more I do it, I'm finding the less I hurt. That's how it goes. No pain, no gain. You build up strength. You build up endurance. My right hip was often bothering me, but that seems to be less and less. My left foot even hurt after a ruck. Again, my body just wasn't used to it. Your body will adapt, strengthen, toughen. It's wonderful, which leads me to the next benefit. It's exactly what I'm saying. It builds your endurance. It makes you tougher, makes you able to carry and endure pain. Number four, it makes you better in the gym and on the field with athletics. Rucking will make you better at other things. Number five, I love this one. It gets you out of the gym. It gets you outside in sunshine, nature, creation, fresh air, vitamin D, baby. I hate stationary things like treadmills, ellipticals, stair steppers. With those, I really, I get on them and I can't wait for my workout to be over. With a stationary bike, I'll only do like five miles because it bores me. With a mountain bike on a trail, I can do like 14, 15 miles where I bike. And I'm like, yep, let's go. Rucking is the same way. It gets you out of the boring gym or house and it gets you outside. 
and the comfort crisis and a chapter on the benefits of uh, getting outside, Michael Easter writes this, most of us today rarely experience the natural world. More than half of Americans don't go outside for any type of recreation at all. That includes the simple stuff like walking and jogging. The time we spend outdoors has declined over the past few decades, and American kids play outside 50% less than their parents did. Camping in the woods is down 30% since 2006. A Japanese study found that people who spent about 15 minutes sitting in and then walking through nature experienced all kinds of drops in measurements that doctors care about. Blood pressure readings, heart rates, and stress hormone levels went down. In another study, people with the highest levels of stress felt a significant drop in anxiety, depression, and hostility only two hours after two hours being in the woods. Rocking forces you to get outside. Number six, rocking builds physical strength. It's a different kind of strength that you aren't getting with uh, just doing squats or leg presses. It's totally different the way it works you. Like I'm sore in areas of my legs and hips that I haven't been in a long time. Number seven, it gets you social. You can go ruck with others. There are hundreds of ruck clubs across the world. You can start your own as well. You can do go ruck competitions with others. Number eight, rucking preps you for an emergency. What if your car breaks down on a road trip and there's no cell phone reception and you got to walk miles and carry something, a bag or a gas can, something? What if you had to carry a baby or a child for miles? What if a disaster hit and the power grid went down? What if a time of war hit inside of our borders? You better be able to ruck. Another benefit is you can ruck anywhere. Neighborhood, a trail, shopping, walking in an airport, at work, to and from the office to your vehicle. You just put your ruck on and you move, you walk. You can do it anywhere. And number 10 benefit, it's cheap. Seriously, all you need is a good backpack. You don't have to buy a $250 Go Ruck pack. I mean, they're awesome. I recommend them. I'm still using my friend Daniel's. I see the benefits of having one made by GoRuck. I'm going to eventually buy one, but you don't need one to get started. Get a backpack, go find some bricks or rocks, put them, you know, wrap them up in a uh, old towel and put them in your pack. Go Ruck. Dude, yesterday I started my morning with like a two mile ruck with my dog Remy. I only put like 25 pounds in it. Then later in the day, I hit the gym, did some chest, triceps, did some stretching. Dude, I am sore from rucking, but that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's helping me just become healthier, fitter, stronger, tougher, more resilient, harder to kill. Anyway, there you go, my brothers. Man, I hope that this episode motivates you to get off that couch, man. Get after it. I like some couch time at night, but I almost feel like you need to earn it. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with having some comfort time. The problem is that we're living comfort time comfortable (laughs) all the time. All the time. Push yourself, make yourself sore, make yourself tired, exhausted. So that when you hit that couch to do some Netflixing or to watch some YouTube videos or to play some video games or to read that book or to just hang out and you know have a drink with some friends or your family, you're like, man, ah, oh, this feels so good. Oh my gosh, this feels awesome. People are like, why? What are you, what are you talking about? You know why they say that? Because they, they do that kind of thing all the time. Maybe, dude, why does it feel so good? Because I'm sore, man. Because I've pushed my body hard 
this feels wonderful. I need this break. See, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way God designed us. Work hard. Do hard things. Do physically hard things. Earn that rest time, that Sabbath, that break. You're going to sleep better when you do hard physical things. So I do want to say, like, if you're just starting, listen, start small so you can stay consistent. Don't try to bite off more than you can chew. I'm not doing any 12-mile competitions with 50 pounds on my back, and I'm not doing any caribou hunts in the Arctic like Michael Easter. You know why? I'm not ready for anything like that. Dude, listen, like two or three years ago, when my Lyme disease was really bad, I was only walking like a quarter mile and then doing a few push-ups on my knees. It was crazy how weak I became. I'm just saying these things because, listen, don't make excuses. Make progress. You're not in a competition with anyone but yourself. I don't care what the other guys at the gym look like or what the other guys on some website or YouTube video look like. You're not in a competition with them. Just you. Just be better than you were the day before, the week before. Be a better you than the you that you were a month ago, a year ago. One thing I learned that comes from Atomic Habits by James Clear, is listen, the power of small incremental changes, habits, yields really big results. Just small, atomic, little minute incremental changes, habits that you stick with, they yield big results. So stay tuned for a couple quick Closing items of Grizz Biz. All right, couple closing items of Grizz Biz. Subscribe. To the growl. It's a weekly email that I send out for Christian men who are fighting to step up, man up. I'll put the link in the show notes. Sign up for the growl. Yeah. What else we got here? Dude. Are you tired of falling to porn? You tired of battling alone? Then join a climb team. Climb teams are weekly online small groups for Christian men who are serious about fighting and overcoming porn and other sexual sins. Climb teams provide connection, support, guidance, accountability, and encouragement. If you're interested, then go to narrowtrail.com and the page is Climb Teams. Or you can email me, info at narrowtrail.com. Put a link in the show notes. We got a closed Facebook group uh, called the Grizz Tribe. It's a group of brothers from other mothers who are fighting to step up and man up. Put a link in the show notes for that. And then, listen, stop being a mere consumer of the Grizz podcast and become part of the Grizz Tribe. Your monthly financial support for as little as $10 per month. Dude, that would be a huge blessing. Listen, it is safe, it's secure, it's easy to set up. Become part of the Grizz Tribe. If we're a blessing to you, be a blessing back to our nonprofit ministry. I'll put a link in the show notes right there. If you want to connect with me, you can connect with me through email, Facebook, LinkedIn. There's links in the show notes. Also, do you ruck? Do you ruck? I want to hear from you if you do. How long you've been rucking? Why do you rock? What are the benefits for you? Have you lost weight doing it? Etc. Email me. I may share your email in the next episode. I love hearing from our listeners. 
Also, there are links in the show notes for the comfort crisis and also for Go Ruck. Go order yourself a ruck, you know what I'm saying. Get at it, my brothers. Step up, man up, grizzin'.